Um, listen, if, uh, if you're new or visiting, again, we're, we're in Galatians. That's where we've been walking through. Um, you could be like Amy Joe, and you could listen to that online. If you've, if you've missed any of them before, or if you'd like to hear uh, previous ones, they should all be up there. I'm going to warn the sound booth guys. Uh, today's message, I've got a handkerchief in each pocket. Today is a two-handkerchief message. So if you see me pull one out, uh, then you need to mute me because I'm going to blow my nose. And nobody, <laughs> nobody wants that. Okay, uh, so in the book of Galatians is where we're going to be. Specifically today, we're going to look at uh, 3.23 through 4.11 in that text. Okay, so if you've got a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. If you didn't bring one with you, I, I'm going to have it on the screen as we, as we go through verse by verse here in just a minute. Um, the whole sermon really is about adoption. And you may have caught that by what our little puppet friend just kind of shared with us, right? But that's what the whole sermon's about. Now, some of you probably know this by now, but Elisa and I are in the process of adopting. Now, you may be asking the question, okay, pastor, you've got four kids. Why are you adopting? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is we're nuts. No, I'm just not. Uh, the, the answer is, is, is because we believe that God has called us to adopt. And so what I mean by that is we both believe that there is a child that belongs to us out there in the world somewhere. And so I guess the question I would have for you is, as a parent, if you had a child that wasn't at your house but you knew belonged to you, what would you do to get them? So this is a book that I'm going to recommend to you, okay? Now, Elisa and I have talked about this ahead of time. We will buy you a copy if you want a copy. You can buy your own copy if you'd like. We have agreed that we would, we would be happy to buy a copy for everyone in this church who wants a copy because this is going to answer your question for us, right? So, hey, I, and I, I, we understand this question. Pastor, you, you guys have four beautiful, healthy children, like, and you're, you're good fit. Like, why? Why do you want to adopt? This book is going to answer that question for you. So, I, so here's my recommendation to you. This book is going to be a blessing to you, whether you read the whole thing or just like the first four chapters. Um, now, it looks like there's two different things here, and I want to explain that. The one with the people on the beach holding hands, is an audio version. So there's an audio version of this, and that's what the old cover looked like. They have an updated cover, because of course that's good to do that every once in a while, uh, and that's the other one. They're, it's both the same person. Russell Moore was a professor that I had in seminary. Um, while we were in seminary, that's when our adoption journey actually began. A lot of people think that maybe it just began um, since we've been here or since Enoch has been born, and that's not the case. Our adoption journey actually began before Eliora was born. Um, and so we've been, uh, we've, we've been in churches where adoption has been a, a part of the fabric. Um, in, our, in our seminary classes, adoption was a part of the fabric. So we know several couples. I know several professors. Um, it's just been on our hearts and on our minds for a long time. So this isn't something that, um, you, you know, we just kind of, it, it's been a long process and so to keep you guys up to date, too, is we're currently at the, at the time, we're, we're open and we're waiting. So today, we could get a call that there's a baby coming to our house, and that would be great. Um, and maybe not for another two years. So anywhere in there. So we're at the place right now where we're ready to receive a child at any point. Uh, and then my wife is in the middle of um, signing up for different grants to help us financially to, to, to pay for that or to reimburse us after we pay for that. This is not a plea for your financial donations at all. I'm just telling you where we're at because I figured you, you may want to know. Um, so, so she has asked um, different people uh, who have known us for a long time to be different references for different things um, so that we might be able to do that. Um, 
so now moving into the actual sermon, but, but I need for you to understand why this is a two-handkerchief sermon. Okay? Uh, so I recommend that book. The main idea is this. God has graciously adopted us, giving us the position of sons and the privileges of sonship. And in your, if you're a note taker and you have notes for today, here's the things I want to cover with you. After we go through the text, I want to show you four new experiences that this, so being adopted gives us four new experiences, three instant inheritances. There's two serious warnings that Paul gives us in the section, and then there is one wonderful truth, okay? So that is where we're going. Let's pray. God of Abraham, you are the rock of ages. You are Lord God Almighty. You are creator and sustainer of the universe. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, and righteous. You are a refuge for your people and a fortress of salvation. Lord, we confess that we will often trade our new identity for our old one. We confess that we will often turn back to the worthless things in this life rather than turning to you. We thank you, therefore, for your patience, Lord. We thank you for setting us free and giving us an inheritance. So, Father, help us to live more like sons and less like slaves. Let us not just hear the word today, but help us to apply it. Grant us the filling of your spirit and teach our hearts to cry out to you, we pray. Amen. So I want to do some housekeeping. Here's some definitions that I want to give you. Now, these are, these are my interpretation of these definitions. If you Google these or if you, if you have a concordance at home, a concordance is a fancy word for like a Bible dictionary. If, you're, if you want to do Bible study, uh, they're fairly reasonable. You can usually, sometimes you can find them at used bookstores because people will buy them and then uh, they, won't, they won't want to keep them. In the back of your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, you often have a concordance. So you can look up these words. Here's my definition of these. So salvation is the deliverance from the, pow- from the power and effects of sin. Justification is this, is this declared right standing before a judge. Adoption is what we're going to talk about. So we are loved and given a new identity from the Father. And then this word to redeem means to actually buy back and to free from captivity by a payment of ransom. So uh, three of these are going to be in our text this morning. That's why I wanted to cover them with you. Um, Now, again, like I said, if you have a concordance uh, by somebody who has a PhD in their name, they're going to give you a better definition than I am. But for my sermon to you this morning, this is is where where I want you to understand. All right, you guys ready to go through this verse by verse and then apply it? I hope so, because that's what we're going to do. He starts out in verse 23. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So he's making a contrast. He's saying before faith, and he's using some very uh, illustrative terms. He's using terms like captivity, imprisonment, under guardianship, under law. And so you're seeing, I hope here, he's saying before faith came, we were in bondage, right? And he also is going to say, uh, until Christ. So he, Paul, is, is equaling here uh, faith in Christ. We have to have faith in Christ. There, there has to be something that we have faith in, right? So um, what's his face from the other day? Uh, whatever. George Tim, George Michael. He says we just got to have faith. Well, you have to have faith in something, right? That's a, I, I, sometimes I use this illustration of jumping out of an airplane and, and just having faith that you won't die. Well, you better have a parachute that you have faith in that's going to break your fall. Otherwise, 
you can have all the faith in the world, but it's in the wrong object, and you're going to hit the ground like a ton of bricks, right? And then so, uh, so uh, faith in Christ, in order that, so he, he sent Christ, he came, why? In order that we might be justified, declared right before a judge by this faith. But now, so this is the, uh, the second part of this contrast. So before that's what we were, we were in bondage, Christ came. But now that faith has come, speaking of Christ also here, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now I want you to see something here in the text. There's a contrast with the but now, that's important. He says here, you are no longer under a guardian. In Jewish, in Greek, in Roman culture, and in our own culture, to some degree, we have this idea here. Now, in our context, in American society, you are an adult when you become 18, right? Yeah. So in this text, uh, often in Roman culture, you had a, a guardian over you until the age of 25, which looking out at our society, that might, we might need to copy more Roman culture, maybe, I think sometimes. I know for myself, I was still... I was still pretty uh, stupid at 25. So speaking of myself, uh, that might have been good. But, so they're under this guardianship. And, and what that means here in the text is he's going he's gonna to flush that out. But just like us, you, you have a certain level of culpability, a certain level of autonomy once you hit a certain age. And until that age, you are under authority. He flushes this out. Uh, th uh, 27 through 29, he says, uh, for as many of you were baptized into Christ that put on Christ. Now, you, if you remember last week, our question was, do you have to be baptized to be saved? I said, no. Uh, but Christ does say we should be baptized in the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? So what he's talking about here is not the, the getting wet baptism. He's talking about the Holy Spirit baptism. He's talking about at the moment that you believe in Christ, you've been baptized. You, at the moment you put your faith in Christ, Christ comes into you. Your life is now in his. You've been buried with him and resurrected in him. And so this is what he's saying. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ as a garment, as a covering. There is neither, and I want to tell you this too, this verse in particular is usually ripped out of context to justify all kinds of things. Things like uh, homosexual marriage, things like um, women in positions of ministry that they, they shouldn't be in. There's probably others, but those are the two main ones. And here's what this means. So as many of you were baptized in Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I, I suppose somebody could point to this and say, yeah, transgender is okay too, right? Because in the text, there's, there's neither one. What he's saying here is that in Christ Jesus, there is no longer a racial, an economic, or a social divide. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying all these categories simply go away. And we know that because later, when uh, in the book of Philemon, there's a slave that actually escapes, and Paul talks about that, right? And in other places, he talks about slaves, be subject to your masters. Masters, treat your slaves with honor and respect. Okay, so, so and, 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 and then later he talks about um, the, the, the relationship between the husband and the wife and who's supposed to be the leader and who's supposed to be the helpmate, and he goes all the way back to... So he's not, he's not getting rid of all these different uh, roles. What he's saying is, in the church and in the body of Christ, there is no no more the separation of racial, economic, or social issues. Or there shouldn't be. There is, because we're sinners. 
but in Christ there shouldn't be. And so if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So if you're in Christ, then you're in Abraham and you're heirs according to that promise, right? Uh, Galatians 4 then, as he continues this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So for example, when, I, when we pass away, it'll probably be me statistically, right? So, and, and just because of my lifestyle before Christ, I'm sure my wife will live a lot longer because, you know, I was an idiot. So uh, when I pass away, everything that we own will go to her. And then when she passes away, everything that we own will go to whom? Well, our children, right? And so, but right now, if my kids are listening to this, text, scripture, scripture says that you're no better than a slave. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you this. My kids don't tell us what we should have for dinner. We tell them what they're going, yes, let me say amen. We tell them what they're going to eat. We tell them what they're going to wear. We tell them where they're going to go, who they're going to go with, how long they can stay there, what they can do while they're there, and when they're coming home. Does this make sense? And so in that, in that respect, right, and we make sure that they do the dishes and they do the, no, I'm just, no. So in that respect, in that respect, right, they are no different than a slave if, if slavery was a thing anymore, right? So they're under this guardianship. They're under this manager until the date set by his father. What's the date for us? It's, it's 18. That's the day that they are now uh, men and women in the eyes of the law. That's the time that they'll go out and, and be ad- adults, right? That's the time set for us by their father societally. So then he goes on too. He says, in the same way, so again, he's, he's saying, this is how it is in the world around you. You Galatians who are part of the Roman Empire, you understand these, these guardians, you understand these rules, you understand the idea of inheritances. And, and so in the same way, we also, we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So he's using this simulation here. Likewise, these elementary, simple, standard, childish. In the word in the Greek, there's this idea of learning your ABCs, like literally the, 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 the first grade kind of things. And what he's talking about here is enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There used to be a time where these Galatians were pagans and they would, they would worship these false gods, gods that would bring thunder, right? And gods that would bring rain and gods that would make the crops grow and gods that would make the sun shine and, and all these elementary principles of the world. And also those elementary principles were actually principalities and powers. There were satanic influences over them. And so there's the natural law, there's the mosaic law, and then there's the spiritual forces, all these things that they were enslaved to. So he goes on again in verse 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that's that word, to buy back in accordance with a ransom, right, to ransom those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now this is a, this is a big chunky section right here, and so I'm just going to take a little time to unpack this for you. What does it mean in the fullness of time? Because in my opinion, it would be way better for Jesus to come now where we could all live stream it, right? 
We could live stream it around the globe. We could watch him do his miracles real time, right? He could have his own YouTube and podcast channel. Wouldn't that be better? Well, no. What we need to understand is in the fullness of time, what, what this means, I believe, is actually you have something called the Pax Romana, which is this Roman peace. Rome was very good at conquering people and then subjugating them under one thing. The Greeks were good at that too. And so there was a single, there was the uh, uh, lingua franca. It was the, the, the language of the people, the language of the time. And so during this time, the time was right for these reasons. For 400 years, Jews had been practicing their faith and their religion, and it had been empty. For longer than that, the Gentile world had been practicing their religions of their false gods, and it had been empty. And now was a time where a people were all under one government with the freedom to travel, with the ability to understand language on a, a far-reaching scale during a time where all of those other things were bankrupt. That's why it's the perfect time. Not to mention that the Bible teaches us that our God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. So in his opinion, it's the perfect time. And therefore, it was the perfect time. End of discussion, right? Because he's God and I'm not. That's why he's right and I'm wrong. So it doesn't matter about YouTube, John. What matters is Christ came in the fullness of time to come. God sent forth, now, now here's the other thing. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So fully God, yet fully man, had to be that to actually be a redeemer, to make a real payment for those who are under sin. It has to be equal. So it has to be able to satisfy God's eternal wrath and judgment. So he has to be eternal as well. That cup, the bottomless cup, right? How do you pour this amount of the Pacific Ocean into a cup? Well, it has to be a bottomless cup, a cup equal to that of the Pacific Ocean, right? So, but he also has to be fully man. So he's born of a woman, born under this law, the Mosaic law, to fulfill the fullness of righteousness so that his righteousness, it talks about in other scriptures, and this is amazing, so that his righteousness then can be deposited into our account so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, praise God, he sees Jesus. He sees the faithfulness of Jesus. He sees the obedience of Jesus. And he came, all of this, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of law, to redeem those who are under the law, us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, Last thing I want to talk about. Some of you or some other people might say adoption as sons and daughters. Paul here is not being sexist at all. What Paul is doing is he's helping us to understand because in the, you have to remember, this is written to Galatians during this time period who had certain traditions and things that would make sense to them. If this was written today, maybe to sons and daughters would make sense to us. But to them... It had to be sons. Why? Because who received inheritance? The sons did. The girls didn't back then. Sorry, ladies, it's different now. Praise the Lord for that, right? But here, and remember what he says before, there's neither male nor female because there's no socio or economic difference in the church. He says, now we have been adopted as sons because sons are the ones who receive. And so we'll just let the Bible speak. How about that, pastor? And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit in of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a saved, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
You see that? The other part of this that we need to see is because we're sons now, we have the spirit of his son in our hearts. And this, this spirit cries, Abba, Father. Now, you may or may not know, depends on how long you've been at church and what kind of sermons you've heard and all that kind of stuff or what kind of Bible study you do on your own. These are two different words, but they kind of mean very similar things. So Abba is an Aramaic word, which means daddy, okay? And then, of course, father, I don't think I need to explain that to you, um, but they mean two different things in the way that you would say them. When I was five, I spoke to my father and I called him daddy. Now that I'm, am I 38? Now that I'm 38, yeah, I know, it's okay. It doesn't matter after a certain age, right? You just hit those big milestones and then you're like, whatever. Um, I call him my father. I don't, I don't call out to him as, as daddy. The other thing I want you to understand is this is the same kind of terminology that Jesus uses in the garden before his crucifixion. And so there's two different common connotations with this term Abba and Father that we need to understand too. One is the kind of way that you would call daddy in the middle of the night. So when, when, when my kids, in the middle of the night, when they wake up from a terrible nightmare and they're running into my room and as they're running into the room they're crying out dad 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 that's the kind of abba that this is and then there's the kind of jesus or, or god so i'm gonna i'm gonna paraphrase just for a minute god i understand that i'm about to go to the cross and die and be experiencing your wrath and a separation from you that i have never experienced for sin's not my own. And so therefore I cry in that kind of pain, in that kind of sorrow, in that kind of anguish, daddy, daddy, daddy. And then on the other side of that, he says, but I understand you as a mature believer. I understand that this is for the best, for your glory and for your people. And so I say, yes, Father. And so that is the spirit that we have the gift of having in us. And I think sometimes we forget that that's the spirit in us, even when we go to him as something so small as bowing our heads to thank him before we eat a meal. And so he says, because of that spirit, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And he goes on, he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Remember, these are these demonic things in our lives, these principalities and powers that waged war on us and in us and even sometimes through us to others. And so we were subject to them. But he says, but, but remember, read the text. He says, formerly... But then he does a contrast, but now that you have come to know God, or, or rather to be known by God, and that's an important distinction there too, we might know uh, that there is a God because before I was a Christian, I, I believed that there was a God, but I had to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, so whether, uh, but now that you have known God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, which whose slaves that you want to be once more. And remember, again, for the context, he's writing this to the Galatians who are being subject by the Judaizers, telling them you need Jesus plus law. 
And so one of the things that they're being told that they have to do is this. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. And what Paul is trying to say here is, look, you, you want to go back and subjugate yourself to all these other Jewish traditions. But when I was there, like I, I Paul, a Pharisee among Pharisees, I, Paul, who studied under Gamaliel, I, Paul, who by a Jew, like if you want to boast in your Jewishness, I have the reason to boast all the more. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Pharisee. I have been living these things out. I've been doing these things. I've been practicing and studying. And by the way, I think, I think we might all agree that, that Paul probably memorized more scripture than, than any of us. I mean, this dude could quote it left and right, right? And, and so, so Paul here is saying, and yet I feel like I've labored over you in vain because I've brought the good news of the freedom of the gospel to you. And yet you, by your own desire for, for, for the acclaim of these men, which we're going to see in the next chapter, you want to go back into these other things that are actually, that's your guardian. You don't need a guardian anymore. You're 18 now. You have freedom in Christ. And so Paul, in essence, takes personal offense to this. So I want to switch gears with you and talk about adoption and apply this, Okay. This is from the book that I told you about, and so I'm going to read you an excerpt from this book so we can have a context for this adoption. Imagine for a moment, so this is, again, this is by uh, Adopted for Life by, by Russell Moore. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker, in the last stage of the process, you're told about this 12-year-old that has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempted repeatedly to skin animals alive. He acts out sexually, she says, but doesn't explain what that means. And she continues with a little family history. The boy's father, grandfather, and great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their own lives. I want you to think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you watch nervously as he played with the other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on the TV with your daughter with the lights out? And then Dr. Moore, in writing this, he identifies this potentially problematic 12-year-old child, and he says this, he's you, and he's me. Because you see, before Christ, there is nothing redemptive about us. Before Christ, this is who we were. And we came from a long, long, long line of people before us that were just as bad as we are. And so in the adoption that we receive through Christ, I want to share with you now four new experiences, three instant inheritances, two serious warnings, and one wonderful truth, okay? And so we're going to go over this much, quick, much quicker because we already did the legwork of uh, exposing the text. So the first one is this. We have a new freedom. Galatians 3.25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Before we were in captivity and imprisoned and under garden, but now we are free. We are free to choose between right and wrong. We are free to worship God. We are 
free to love one another. There is a new freedom. Who among us would want to go back into that slavery? If you have any kind of testimony in your life at all, think about what God has saved you from, and then for a moment, would you really want to go back there with your hearts and your minds darkened, enslaved to those things of which you are now ashamed, Paul says. This is not freedom of religion. This is freedom of relationship. The next thing we have here is a new fellowship. So we have a new freedom in adoption. We also have a new fellowship. Look at the text 328. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Welcome to the family if you're in Christ. I am amazed that anywhere in the globe I go, regardless of gender, regardless of age, if I meet another believer in Christ, we instantly have something to talk about, don't we? We instantly have a testimony and a story to share, don't we? We instantly can pray for one another very fervently, knowing nothing else about one another. There is a level of intimacy in a relationship that one can only experience as a new creature in Christ in the context of the local body of believers. Also, we have a new future. In the text 329, it says, and if you are Christ's and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This means that we are a wild olive branch grafted into this olive tree. This means that we have a future hope, a future home, a future inheritance, that we will not be left as orphans. He will come to us. You see, adoption brings us all of these new experiences. We can grow in our application of this identity even after finding our fullness in heaven because we will be part of that forever. And we have a new father. Now, some of you may have had really bad fathers, and I'm sorry for that, and I want to make sure that you are very clear that you do not say, well, if the Father in heaven is anything like my earthly father, then I'm not so sure about that. No, no, no. What does the text say? We have a new father, not like our earthly father, because this father is perfect in love. Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And because we have a new father, we are now a new child, right? The child is to act like the father. That is part of what we teach in our household. I'm sure that's what you learned in your household too. And unfortunately for some of us, some of us, the sins that we commit are because of the sins of our fathers, right? Maybe our father was an alcoholic, so we tend to be tempted with alcoholism. Or maybe our father was fast and loose, and so we ourselves tend to be tempted in fast and loose kind of behavior. But we have a new father, the text says. So this is a new experience. Three instant inheritances. The first is that we have an instant position. For as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you have put on Christ. At the moment Elisa told me that she was pregnant, by the way, I'll never forget where I was at that intersection. She called me on the phone. And by the way, it was not our plan, right? Because we had a different plan. And then God said, nope, you're, you're going to have a baby. She called me. And at the moment she told me that she was pregnant, I was a father. That was it. And she was a mom. That was it. We had a brand new position from that day forward, and you have a brand new position too. At the moment you believed, you're his child. And I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself of that almost daily. 
I am a child of God. And there's nothing anybody can say, there's nothing anybody can do, including myself, to take that away because it wasn't mine in the first place. So I have an instant position. I also, and you also in Christ, have instant power. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, it says in 4.6. The moment that my child cried, I heard it. Now, Lisa didn't because it was a very rough cesarean section and she was knocked out for like an hour after, completely unaware of anything. And so I got to hold Rowan for the first hour of his life. And I will also never forget in seminary, my buddy Josh Moxon, we're down in the coffee house because at seminary, that's where you decide you have to live on coffee. So you, 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 that's where you know, my addiction began, I guess. But so at the day at seminary, I'm down at the coffee house, and I'm studying with Josh, and we're working probably over Greek text or something like that. And I'm, I'm doing that with him, and then I hear this noise, and I stop. And then he's, and I'm like, hold on. I say, I got, I got to go, man. I got to go get Rowan. And he's like, what? And I walk up to the second floor, it was bad, y'all. He had colic. It was bad. We almost lost it, okay? But I went up to the second floor down the hall where the nursery was because that's where he was supposed to be because Elisa was doing her class or something like that. And I went up in there, and sure enough, if it wasn't crying, but I knew his cry. And I went back down there holding Rowan, and Josh was like, how in the world did you do that? I was like, bro, I just, I know his cry, man. I would be able to pick his cry out of a lineup, out of a thousand different cries. Because that's, that's the power of his spirit in us, that when we cry, he hears us. It's a love that never runs out. It's a hope that never ceases. It's mercies that are new every morning. And we also, we have a new and instant provision. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born into the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. At the moment you believe, you have an instant provision, a provision of all you need before a holy, righteous God. All of the righteousness of Christ is attributed to you. He has provided for every single thing. And so, not, so, so hear me rightly when I say this. We should try to be obedient as much as possible. But when we fail, and we will fail, when we fail in Christ, it doesn't matter because of his faithfulness. Now, you have to hear me right there. I'm not saying just continue to sin. Paul says, should we just continue to sin that his grace may abound? By no means, right? So that's what I'm saying too. So I'm not saying continue to sin so that his grace may abound. But what I'm saying is his grace is sufficient. And so you are now have an instant provision so two serious warnings that we see in the text. The two serious warnings are, 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 are this. I'm going to give you both of them at the same time. Firstly, there's a freedom that's missed and there's a freedom misused. Galatians 4, 8 and 4, 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. And 4, 9. But now that you have come to know him or rather known by him, how can you turn back again to these weak and worthless things? So the, the two warnings for us this morning are simply this. If you're here this morning and you don't know what I'm talking about, about the adoption as a son, if that's brand new information to you, if you are here this morning and you are living more like a slave than a son, if you are struggling to own your sonship, one of these might be for you. First of all, if you don't know what it means to be adopted into this family of Christ, there's a freedom that you are missing. 
and, 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 I, and, I, and I'm not trying to tell you that so that you give money to the church. I'm not trying to tell you that because I need another spiritual notch on my belt. Because, by the way, pastors don't save people. The Spirit of God does that. There's a freedom that you're missing because you don't know the freedom in Christ. You're still subject to these old things. And, and for those of you who are struggling to live as sons, you're living as more of a slave than living as a son, there's a freedom that you're missing out on. There's a freedom of a joy. Do you understand that following Christ is meant to be joyful? I mean, this, here's the best, this might be the best kept secret, okay, is, is, is this. As a Christian, we should be the most joy-filled people because there is literally no way that anyone can take that away from us. And it doesn't, it's not based on our performance. And so therefore, every single day, we should wake up with this kind of attitude. Lord, what do you have for me to do today? Because whether I succeed or whether I fail, I am loved by you and much blessed because my inheritance is already secure in heaven. So what can man do to me, right? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. They might kill my body, but after that, they, all they've done is given me a ticket into paradise. Like, what else is there for us? And so there is a freedom missed, if you don't know this relationship, and there is a freedom that we can often misuse as we seek to go back into legalism, or if we find drudgery in reading our Bibles. Are you reading your Bible? I hope so, but that's not what saves you. Which brings us to this, this wonderful truth. Wonderful truth is slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. Or, according to the context, keep it in the book, right? Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Daddy, as well as Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so the wonderful truth is, this is your eternal identity. And so I want you to own it. I want you to rejoice in it. I want you to relish in it. I want you to tell others about it. I want you to experience it. I, I, I want you to be in love with it. Through Christ, God has graciously adopted us, giving the position of sons and the privileges of sonship. And he uses that word specifically because sons are what receive the name of the Father and the inheritance from the Father so this, if you are in Christ, is your eternal, eternal identity. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we ask that you would send your spirit upon us to fill us, that we would live every moment as a son rather than a slave. God, we ask that you would help and empower and equip us for your ministry, for all those things that you have called us to, that you would give us a new sense of joy and peace and hope, that your mercies would be new every single day so that you might be honored and glorified in us as we find our deepest and abiding joy in simply being yours. Help us, God. Remind us of this daily because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the accuser of the brethren and reminds us constantly that we are not good enough, that we are not lovable, that there is nothing in us, and yet your word has told us you are a prince or a princess of the Most High God. Help us to own and believe. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's